Uh, We will be back in Mark again this morning. Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Some of you are saying, oh, we read that last week. We're going back in time. Oh, dear. (coughs) We are going back in time to some of the same verses, uh, but we're going to look at a different different aspect of something that I think is important for us to uh, look at when we look at at, at these verses uh, that we didn't talk about uh, last week. Uh, We did talk a lot about the Sabbath last week. Uh, It is a difficult topic, and uh, as we discussed last week, there are many Christians with many different views uh, on the topic. Uh, So uh, when it comes to Sabbath uh, keeping and your views on that, then uh, read Scripture and pray that the Lord would uh, guide you in what decision you should make and uh, live by your convictions that the Lord puts on your heart uh, in that area. Uh, We won't be talking much about the Sabbath today, praise the Lord, Uh, but we will be talking about uh, the same passages and maybe something a little different in there that some of you may have noticed last week. Uh, Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Now he entered the synagogue again. Now this is Jesus here. Now he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a paralyzed hand. In order to accuse him, they were watching him closely. Now, that's the Pharisees, those people that were always trying. uh, There were a lot of people out to try to get Jesus. That's the ones who were watching him. Uh, In order to accuse him, they were watching him closely to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. He told the man with the paralyzed hand, Stand before us. Then he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do what is good or to do what is evil, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. After looking around at them with anger and sorrow at the hardness of their hearts, he told the man, Stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Immediately the Pharisees went out and started plotting with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning, and I pray that as we look at your word, and as we talk about you, God, that we would... Learn something from you today, dear Lord. I pray that you would help me to be faithful to preach and teach your word in a way that's going to bring glory to you. I pray, God, that the words that we read today, that the words that come out of my mouth today, are God, are are all words that are from you, dear Lord. I pray, God, that each one that's here that's heard your word read just now, that's reading it for themselves, God, that the Holy Spirit would help those words to jump off the page and help us, God, to look at and reflect upon our own lives, dear Lord, every time we read your word so that we may grow in it. God, I pray that you take away any nerves. I pray that you would humble me this morning, dear Lord, as I preach and teach, dear Lord. It's about you. It's about your words. And I pray, God, that that everything we do today will be for your glory. I pray that you hide me behind the cross, and I pray that you would help your words to speak to us. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, last week, the scene was kind of set. We talked about that. Uh, There were many who were out to get Jesus. He was on a collision course with them because the things that he was saying and doing really collided with what they were teaching and what they were doing. And and we've talked about several controversies and and collisions that he's had over the last month. We've looked at several of them, Uh, last week being a controversy over the Sabbath. That was a a big collision that he had had. And in the verses before, uh, they were really calling out Jesus' disciples 
disciples for, uh, for picking a little food to eat on the Sabbath, and that caused a big uproar. And now here in uh, this passage that we look at today that we covered last week, uh, just because they kind of all covered the same idea, we see the same thing happening. Here Jesus is, is on trial again before these Pharisees and those who are out to accuse Jesus. He's really kind of always on trial before them. They're looking for a way to accuse him for something against him. They're looking for a way to find him guilty on the spot. And in this particular passage, they are trying to find him guilty again of breaking the Sabbath. By breaking the Sabbath, uh, in their opinion, really, you were to do nothing. Now, it said that it was to be a day of rest, but uh, it would appear as though the reading of the text that the Pharisees and many uh, of, of those that followed that were against Jesus had added some to the law. They were going to the extreme. They were placing burdens upon the people that were not ever intended to be part of what the law was meant to be. And so any little thing uh, that they thought was work uh, that went above and beyond what they thought was the law and their interpretation, boy, anybody that did those things was, was evil. They were doing wrong. Now Jesus here healed a man uh, who had a sickness. Uh, of all the things that would be good to do, what a wonderful thing to heal someone who has a disease. Now uh, it says here uh, that uh, uh, the man had a paralyzed hand. Now, he couldn't move his hand, and Jesus, seeing that, uh, told the man to uh, stretch out his hand so that it could be healed. Now, uh, the people who were opposed to Jesus didn't like this. They didn't like what Jesus was doing, as was usual. Uh, then he said to him, uh, excuse me, uh, he told the man with a paralyzed hand, stand before us. Then he said to him, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do what is good or to do what is evil, to save a life or to kill? Now he uh, knew that this question was really going to kind of stump those Pharisees, those who were focused on uh, keeping the Sabbath. And he was saying, look, it is a good thing to do a good work on the Sabbath. He says, my father is working and so am I. He doesn't say it in this passage, but he says it in another passage. And Jesus says, it is good to do, or it is right to do what is good on the Sabbath. It is right to heal someone. What a great thing that is for someone who has been paralyzed to now be able to move their hand as to where the Pharisees would say, nope, we don't care if you've been paralyzed your whole life. We don't care that you can be healed right now. You must wait till tomorrow. But Jesus said that's absurd. Jesus said it's absurd to do that, and he had the power to heal this man, and he told the man to do something that he wasn't physically able to do, stretch out your hand. Well, he couldn't stretch out his hand because it was paralyzed. And Jesus was commanding the man to do something that he could not do. And he does the same thing for you and I sometimes. Things that may seem impossible to us. Why is he asking to do that? We can't do that. Well, lo and behold, if Jesus commands us to do it, guess what? We can probably do it. It's impossible to walk on water, but Jesus commanded Peter, hey, walk on water. And guess what Peter did? Peter walked on water because Jesus commanded it. And the same may be true in my life and in your life too. There may be things that Jesus is commanding you to that seem impossible, that feel impossible, that look impossible. But if Jesus calls you to it, He will help you do it, whatever it may be. Now, uh, upon seeing what had taken place and hearing Jesus' question to them, uh, it says that they were silent. And upon their silence, here's the verse that we're going to focus on today in verse 5. After looking around at them with anger and sorrow at the hardness of their hearts, he told the man, stretch out 
your hand. Now, here's something that we see that, that, that this is, depending on your translation, you may see the emotion of anger applied to Jesus on a couple of occasions. But, but this particular verse, in every translation that I looked at, which has probably been 20 at least this week, they all attributed this emotion of anger to Jesus. That after looking around at them with anger and sorrow at the hardness of his heart. Now that's one maybe kind of tough for us to uh, wrap our head around. Now uh, we see uh, another mention uh, of Jesus' anger later on, depending on uh, your translation, uh, the event where Jesus came to Lazarus when he has died. Uh, it said that he looked around at the crowds and what was going on there, and it said that he was, that he was angry. Uh, and so, uh, depending on your translation there, the word anger may not be there, but the Greek word that was used does convey the emotion of anger, as does the word that's used here for Jesus. It conveys the emotion of anger. Now, another instance that we may, uh, I think, would be, would be reasonable for us to assume that Jesus was angry is when he went into the outer courts of the temple. Uh, when he went there and he saw the money changers there and the money was changing hands and Jesus began to make a whip and begin to uh, turn the tables over of the money changers and begin to, to run them out. Now, uh, I don't know of any translation that uses the word anger to describe that event in Jesus in any way, but I don't think it's unreasonable for us to apply the emotion of anger there. What else would have driven Jesus to do those things that he did? I mean, those are pretty intense things right there. And so those three examples, uh, the example of Lazarus, uh, Jesus was angry at that time in his spirit. Uh, the example uh, that we see Jesus going in and turning over the table of the money changers. And then here, the example that we are at today in Mark chapter 3, we see this emotion applied to Jesus. Now, what are we to make of emotions like this that are applied to Jesus? Now, there is one thing that we know for sure that Jesus is perfect, that Jesus did not ever sin. But yet here we see an emotion that's attached to Jesus that more often than not leads you and I to sin. Now, this is a kind of a, this is kind of a tricky subject for us to maybe to, to kind of figure our way around because depending on the scripture you read, you may say, well, anger is a horrible thing. We must avoid it at all costs. Uh, but then you see passages like this where we see uh, anger in Jesus' heart and we say, well, wow, well, is the Bible contradicting itself or not? Well, the answer to that is clear. The Bible does not contradict itself. And so when we read God's Word and we read about things such as anger and we see these emotions as well as other emotions that we have, uh, we need to see well, what are we to make of those things. Now, we need to remember that as, 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 as human beings, we are created in the image of God. We are made in the image of God. And emotions are part of that image. Now, our emotions are tainted with sin. When God first created us, we were, we were good. We were without sin. We were good and very good. We were made in God's image, and all was well. But sin entered the picture, and that has really tainted emotions. And that our emotions sometimes get away from us, might be a nice way to put it. We sometimes get emotional. Now, when we talk about God having emotions, uh, I think we need to make sure that we understand that God's emotions are perfect emotions. And if we say God is emotional, 
We cannot have the same view as what we think of when we think that we may be emotional or somebody else we've seen that's emotional. God's emotions are, are in some way like ours, but not tainted by sin like ours are. Now, the Bible is full of us seeing emotion with God. The difference is, is that as our emotions get out of control, oftentimes it may cause us to sin. But when God has an emotion for something, it is always the perfect emotion. It is always the right emotion. It is never from a wrong place. It is never with ill intent. It is never from a sinful place. When God shows an emotion in Scripture, whether a positive emotion or a negative emotion, that emotion is a perfect emotion. And it is right whenever God, or Jesus, exhibits that emotion. Now, we have the core of those emotions in us, but being tainted by sin, those emotions kind of run rampant. We're not able to control them in the way maybe that we should be able to control them, which oftentimes leads us into sinfulness. Now, there's a few examples of emotions that God shows in the Old Testament. I'll read through these. If you want to jot them down, you can, or I can print this off and give it to you later. Uh, but for time's sakes, I'll just read through a few emotions that we see God have in the Old Testament. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 14, it says, You are never to bow down to another god, because Yahweh, being jealous by nature, is a jealous god. Now, this is God speaking to his people, the Israelites, that they are not to bow down to other gods. And why? What does he say he is by nature? He says he is jealous. He is a jealous God. Now, there are other scriptures that say the same thing. Now, this is an interesting one, right? Because if any of you have ever dealt with jealousy in your life, in my life, uh, it, it, it usually turns out to be a bad thing. If we are jealous of someone, we are envious of them, we want what they have, we, we don't trust them, we, we, we're jealous because we think they're getting this or they're getting that or they're doing this or they're doing that, and, and it causes us to maybe resent the person or dislike the person, hate builds up, and, and jealousy is sometimes, probably more times than not, honestly, for human beings, a, a bad thing. But, but I believe it's also healthy to have a little bit of jealousy for the right reasons, as long as it doesn't cause us to sin. After all, Jesus was jealous for his people. He didn't want to lose his people. They were his people. The Israelites were his chosen people that he loved, that he wanted to take care of, that he wanted to secure, that he wanted to make sure that they were safe. And he did not want them to go off searching for other gods. Now that seems pretty reasonable. And you could make the case that if you really love somebody, how could you not be jealous if they were going off looking for another husband, so to speak, if they were going off looking for another God? I believe that if you were married and your husband or your wife, uh, someone else was trying to take them from you and maybe they were being tempted to do that, I think it's natural to be jealous there. If you love your spouse and you want to keep them and you say, no, that's mine. I love them. I will fight for them. I'm not going to let them do that because that's not what's good for them. Now, jealousy can drive us if we are jealous like God is and we really seek the Lord. It, it, it can be a good thing and that it shows that we love someone and that we are willing to do what we can for that thing. 
But boy, keeping our emotions in check is very difficult. Now God can do it because He's God and He's perfect. You and I really take, well, I'll speak for myself. I won't speak for you. For me, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort because if I begin to get jealous, chances are that that's going to build into a sinful emotion that's going to come out of me in some unhealthy way. And so we see examples like this in the Old Testament where God exhibits emotion, but yet it is not sinful. Now, there's a fine line there, a line that's really difficult for us humans to, to walk that line and not cross over. Uh, but emotions are a good thing. Even emotions that we may look at as negative emotions, like anger or like jealousy, if they are dealt with in a right way that doesn't lead to sin, there may be a time and a place for those emotions. Uh, but we must be very careful in how we show those emotions and how they play out in our heart and in our daily lives. Another example from Psalm 11:5: The Lord examines the righteous and the wicked. He hates the lover of violence. Here we see the word hate there. We see that a couple of times in the Old Testament where God hates something. Now here we often say, well, we shouldn't hate anything. We can really just like it. But even God shows hate for certain things, for certain evils, for certain wickedness. Now, again, we need to be careful because oftentimes the things that we hate may lead us to hate people, to hate the people who do those things and to treat them differently and to treat them wickedly. And then who does God hate? Well, He hates us because we're the ones doing the wickedness. And so we, it's a real fine line that we have to look at here. And we have to be true to these things. We have to be real about these things. We may not want to admit that, boy, God can be angry and God can be jealous and God can hate. Well, boy, that doesn't sound like the things that, that God is. Well, it's tricky for us because we take our definition and what we know of jealousy and anger and hate is what we've seen something from a friend or from a family member and how they've acted. And we say, well, if God acts like that, then I don't want anything to do with that kind of God. But that's not the way God acts in His emotions. He doesn't act like humans. He acts in a right way, in a righteous way, in a perfect way because He is God. And that really, for me, is impossible for me to wrap my head around. But I trust it and I believe it, and I know if God does it, I know He's right by doing it because He is sovereign. He is good, He is perfect, and He is right in all that He does. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 26, the Lord will indeed vindicate His people and have compassion on His servants when He sees their strength is gone and no one is left, slave or free. Here we see compassion. This is something we see in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Isn't that beautiful? That's a good one. That's a good emotion. We've talked about some negative ones. But compassion is a beautiful emotion that God is going to be compassionate on His people when He sees that they are weak, when He sees that they are struggling, when He sees that they are helpless. God is compassionate on His people. We see Jesus doing the same thing. As Jesus in His ministry goes around, and the people come to him and they are sick and they're just flocking to him and you know he's probably tired and worn out because this went on for three and a half years and Jesus would see the crowds and sometimes in scripture it will say and he saw the crowds and he had compassion on them. Now God is full of good emotions. He is full of tough emotions but they're always right whether they seem harsh to us or not and sometimes they are harsh. When it talks about God, uh, God bringing His wrath, we see that a ton, especially in the book of Revelation. Well, that's the emotion of anger being poured out in its, in its fullest. And God exhibits that, and He is right to exhibit that. 
He is right to pass judgment because he is passing perfect judgment when he does those things. Psalm chapter 78 verse 40. Psalm chapter 78 verse 40. How often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. Now this is talking about the Israelite people and they did uh, grieve him a lot in the wilderness as he continued to be there for them and they continued to, uh, it seemed like, not want to trust him. I mean, time after time. Some of you remember that. We just went through the book of Exodus. And time after time, God would deliver them. And then they would go back into their wickedness. And it grieved the Lord. God grieves over his people. God grieves over the things that we do. Uh, we see Jesus weeping and, and when he went to see uh, Lazarus. Now, whether he was re weeping for the loss of Lazarus or, or weeping because he was angry because sin had uh, taken an effect and destroyed uh, the beautiful creation that God had made, whether he was weeping over the fact that the people, uh, some of the people there had hardness of heart over who he was and what he could do, uh, maybe he was weeping <coughs> over all of those things. But the idea that, that, that God would grieve or, or weep uh, is something that we see in the Scriptures. It's a normal and it's a natural emotion. Uh, we even see that in the time of the flood, that it said it grieved God that he had made humanity because things were so wicked. And so we see these different emotions through the Old Testament uh, numerous times throughout God's Word. In Isaiah chapter 62, verse 5, For as a young man marries a young woman, so your sons will marry you. And as a groom rejoices over his bride, so your God will rejoice over you. Here we see rejoicing. We see joy in the Lord. Isn't that a beautiful example there that it says, As a groom rejoices over his bride, so your God will rejoice over you. Isn't that good stuff? I think sometimes... The devil's good at making us think, oh boy, God, he's not happy with me. I sinned, I did this, I said that, I thought this, I shouldn't have been this. And, and we think that God's always up there looking down angry at us because we see those verses where God may be angry or where he may pour out his wrath. And we always may be on tiptoes thinking God's always looking down angry at us. But really, this verse is a good reminder that, yeah, God may be angry with us sometimes, and rightfully so because we do some pretty boneheaded stuff. But, but isn't this a beautiful reminder that as a groom rejoices over his bride, so your God will rejoice over you. Isn't it a wonderful thing that God loves us? I believe that God rejoices over us being his children and loving him and being his followers. And it brings him joy to know that we are his. And it should bring us joy to know that he is ours. Now, we may sin and God may be angry with us, but that should never keep us away from God. We, we may be tempted to spiritually kind of put our head down and stay under the cover and, and wait and think, boy, I hope God doesn't strike me. I hope today's not the day. But instead, perhaps we should just go to our Father and say, Father, I love you. I'm sorry. And repent before the Lord and the Lord will forgive us and we will find joy in the Lord and the Lord will find joy in us just as a groom finds joy in his bride. I can, I can relate to that. I find much joy in my bride. I was so excited when I got married to have a wonderful bride. There was much joy that was in my heart and still is in my heart. And many of you can relate because you have a, a good spouse, a good husband, or a good wife. And you know that joy. And as good as that earthly joy is that we have in our spouses or the joy we have in our children, do you know that that joy does not even compare to what God has for us? At least I don't believe it is. We have that joy and we understand that to some point because we are created in God's image. 
But I believe as good as our joy is and as best as we can do as, as sinful humans with our joyful emotions, how much greater is God's joy than ours? Of course, we have to look at the flip side of that too. Uh, how, much, how much more fierce is God's anger too? Which is why we should be seeking to experience God's joy and not God's wrath. One is greater than we can ever imagine and one is worse than we could possibly ever imagine. Those are a few examples in the Old Testament. I've already alluded to a couple of examples in the New Testament. I'll read them for you just so you can hear it from God's Word yourself. In John chapter 11, chapter, excuse me, John 11, 33, uh, this is the verse where Jesus was uh, there with Lazarus after he had passed. And he says, uh, when Jesus saw her crying, that is Lazarus' sister, he was angry in his spirit and deeply moved. Now, again, some of your translations may use the word angry there and some may not, but the Greek word that was used does convey uh, this idea, this emotion of anger there. And so we see this passage as well as the one we are looking at in Mark where this is uh, spelled out for us that Jesus has this emotion. Uh, and then uh, we see uh, the event that happened in John chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. Let me read those so you can really see exactly uh, what was going on here in these passages. John chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. The Jewish Passover was near, so Jesus went up to Jerusalem in the temple complex. He found people selling oxen, sheep, and doves, and he also found the money changers sitting there. After making a whip out of cords, he drove everyone out of the temple complex with their sheep and oxen. He also poured out the money changers' coins and overturned the tables. Now, it doesn't say there that Jesus is angry. Although that seems, it seems reasonable to me that, that, that we could, we could uh, put that, uh, that emotion uh, with that particular event that took place. That was a pretty intense event. And yet still, even though Jesus did all those things, he was free of sin. Now, we must be careful. We must be very careful with, uh, with that verse we just read in John chapter 2 because I think a lot of times people use that verse to justify doing sinful things. <laughs> Well, Jesus turned over the, temple, the tables in the temple, therefore I can act a fool and I can get away with it. Well, not so fast. Jesus did those things and he was right to do those things. But we are usually probably not. Usually we get angry, we want to act a fool, and then it causes us to sin. That's the difference between us and Jesus. Jesus did what was right, but it never led him to sin. He simply addressed an issue that needed to be addressed. Now, we won't go into detail on this because we will get to this uh, topic in Mark uh, later on. And so uh, come back in several months or a year or so when we get to that, and we will talk about that in more detail. Uh, but the point is, is that Jesus was able to, to, to not cross that line to deal with what needed to be done, to have a right anger when it was a right time to be angry, but not allow that to lead him into sin. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, though, uh, it says, rid yourself of anger. Even in uh, the Corinthians, Paul tells the people, look, rid yourself of all anger. He lists up a whole list of different sins there, and anger is one of those things that we are supposed to rid ourselves of. And so we have verses like that, but then uh, just a few verses before in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27, right before he tells us to rid ourselves of anger, uh, we have this, this instruction. Uh, in verse 26 of Ephesians 4, be angry and do not sin. Now that's a good one right there. He's quoting from Psalm 4.4 right there. He says, be angry and do not sin. Now what that tells me is that that lines up with what 
the rest of Scripture is as far as emotions go and as far as anger goes. If Jesus never sinned, but yet the Scripture tells us he was angry, then he was doing just that. He was being angry and not sinning. Now, there may be times in our life, and this is where we have to be careful, that it may be right for us to be angry at something that is going on. We may be right in our anger, but we may allow our anger to get the best of us and it lead us to do something sinful that is not right. Now, we need to be in a lot of prayer. We don't need to turn back to John chapter 2 and justify ourselves and say, well, Jesus is angry and he acted a fool and I want to act a fool too. No, that's not a good uh, that's not a good plan for us as Christians. We must really be prayerful. And if we are angry, we need to pray that God give us the self-control, which is a fruit of the Spirit, uh, or that we have the patience that we need, that we can deal with that anger in a right way. Also keep in mind that, uh, that uh, um, uh, when Jesus was angry there, this is not something that we saw Jesus do all the time. It's not like Jesus went to the temple every other week and was flipping the tables over. I mean, this was something that happened occasionally. We should not be angry every day or every other day. I mean, that's just silly. That's not what Jesus did. There were times, and usually those times where Jesus was harsh with the people who came against him, it was because they poked him and they prodded him. Because it usually says, trying to find a way to trick Jesus or trap Jesus or make him guilty of something, they came and asked him a question, or they brought this to him, or they did this to him. They were provoking Jesus. Uh, they were not coming to seek and learn from Jesus. Uh, they, were, they were saying things and doing things and exposing their own heart. And when Jesus addressed that, sometimes it was harsh, or sometimes he may have turned over the money tables, uh, tables uh, the money changers' tables. Uh, but, but, but Jesus didn't make a habit of being angry. Obviously, we don't see that much in the Scriptures and all of the Gospel accounts. But it does happen occasionally, and I believe it does happen occasionally for us, but we are not Jesus. So therefore, it takes much more prayer uh, and guidance from the Lord in dealing with our emotions. Be angry and do not sin. Then he says, don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. Now that's good instruction right there. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. If you're angry about something right now, you need to take care of it. Because guess what's going to happen if the sun goes down? You're going to think about it. Oh, you're going to think about it all night. And that person that did that to you, oh, you are fissing to, you're going to make it. By the time you get up in the morning, you're going to be angry as a hornet. And every day that goes by, you're just going to be angry and angry and angry. So what does the Scripture say? Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. You need to make amends with whatever person you may be angry with. Or at the very least in your heart, you need to say, God, I'm not going to allow this anger to take control of me because when we do, the Scripture says it gives the devil an opportunity. What does it give him an opportunity to do? It gives him an opportunity to make a sin because we'll get so angry, boy, it'll affect our attitude, it'll affect how we treat other people, and we'll begin to sin against God and against other people. So what does the Scripture say? Don't let the sun set on your anger. And James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, it says, My dearly loved brothers, understand this. Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak. Love this verse. I need to plaster this on everything I've got. Some of you may need to hear it too. I definitely, uh, this is one of my favorites. Uh, everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For a man's anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Now, that's a good verse. 
That's a verse that I, I love it, and I am so far from mastering it. That's a verse that I want to master so bad, and I find myself like every week, like I kid you not, I like praying, God, help me to be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to speak, quick to listen. And then guess what happens? I'm quick to speak, slow to listen. And so pray for me in that. Because this is a good verse. This is, this is good instruction for us in that we need to be slow to anger. There may be times where it eventually gets to a point where it builds up. And, and, and we are right in our anger. Those times may come, but they should be few and far between, and it should not be fast. It should not be one thing happens and all of a sudden the switch is flipped. And bam! I'm maximum anger from zero to 100 angry in seven seconds. Like our anger should not be that as Christians. Now it should take a lot to get us angry as Christians. And sadly, sometimes we have a short fuse. And we need to pray that God will help us not to have a short fuse and not to be quick to be angry, but to be slow to anger. Last passage, Revelation chapter 16, verse 19. It said, uh, this is speaking of, 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 of the prophecy of Revelation. I'll say that. Uh, the great city split in two uh, reports, and the cities of the nations fell. Uh, Babylon the great was remembered in God's presence. He gave her the cup filled with the wine of his fierce anger. Now here he's speaking of the anger and wrath that's going to be poured out on Babylon the Great in the book of Revelation. And here we see that anger, again, in the New Testament, this time exhibited by God. What kind of anger? A fierce <coughs> anger. A fierce anger. A cup filled with the wine of the fierce anger of God's wrath. Now ultimately there will be a day that will come when God's anger will be exhibited in its fullest and that will be a bad day for those who are not in Jesus Christ. God is right in His emotions. He's right in His love, He's right in His joy, and He's also right in His anger. But you and I, we're usually not right in our anger. We may sometimes be, but even still we must be prayerful that the Lord will help us to deal with that emotion. Now Jesus was angry with the people because of the hardness of their heart, and we may be angry with people sometimes because of the hardness of their heart, because of the sin that's in their life. Uh, Jesus saw the hardness of heart that was in their life and the sin that was in their life, and that made Him angry. And if we want to be angry about sin and hardness of heart, well, perhaps the first place we need to look is not at someone else's, but at our very own. If we start there and go from there, things will work a lot better off. If we begin to examine ourselves, if we begin to look at our own self, if we begin to be angry with our own sin, see, it's angry for us to be angry uh, about other people's sins. That's easy to do. We can sit down and write a list of everybody else's sins right now. We could, we could fill up this church with pieces of paper by the end of the night if we could write down everybody else's sin. But then if you had your piece of paper, it might have like three things on it. So maybe we need to be a little more angry and a little more distressed and a little more troubled and a little more grieved over the sin in our life. And if we begin to look at our own self and be angry with our own sin and our own uh, stresses and troubles and worries, if we begin to be grieved over those things, boy, God then can begin to work on our heart. And when God begins to work on our heart, that's when He can help us to have a righteous anger. That's when He can help us to be self-controlled. That's when He can help us to be patient when we need to be patient. There's a couple things before we close. 
that we don't want to miss from this passage. One, the, the Pharisees missed the forest for the trees. They missed what, what God really was doing. They were going to, to pass up a miracle. A man who was paralyzed, they were going to pass that up because they were so concerned about Jesus fitting what they thought uh, that Jesus should be. You see, the Pharisees wanted Jesus to live like them. But Jesus wanted the Pharisees to live for God. Now, we don't need to fall into that same mistake. We don't need to get caught up in things that don't matter. And sometimes as Christians, maybe we are tempted to do that. But we don't want to miss the glorious things that God wants to do, the miraculous things that God wants to do through you or through this church because we miss the forest for the trees. We should not desire for everyone to be like us. We should desire for everyone to live for God. And they may sometimes be like us, or they may sometimes not at all be like us. But there is one thing in this world that can unify people, and really only one thing, and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ can unify any people from anywhere. That's the only thing that I know of that can unify people from different races, from different cultures, that look different, that talk different, that dress different, that sing different, that, 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 that eat different, whatever it may be. We can do all those things different, but there is one thing that will make us the same, and that is Jesus Christ. And oftentimes those differences are A-OK, -okay, as long as it's Jesus Christ that unites us. And the Pharisees miss that. They missed that. They weren't coming, uh, willing to come and unite in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. One of the main points I've already made, and that is, anger should not be exhibited often. It should be something that, as Christians, should be under our control. And when it is exhibited, we need to be careful that it does not lead to sin. And if you want to be angry and you want to grieve over sin, perhaps the best place to start is your own heart. Now, I don't know everybody's heart in here today. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know the struggles you have. I don't know the sin in your life. But I know this. I know that Jesus Christ loves you. And I know that we read about Jesus being angry in a couple of verses. But I'll tell you what, we read about Jesus loving in a lot more verses. We read about God's love abundantly. There are lots of emotions that we see God show in the Scripture. But you know the best emotion that God shows? It is love. It is the best emotion. It is the joy that God feels when you come to Him. It is the joy that you feel when you come to Him. Now maybe you've seen these verses about God being a jealous God or God being an angry God. And yes, those are parts of God, but those are not the parts of God that we have to experience. God, those are the parts of God that, that God reserves for those who reject Him, for those who deny Him, for those who turn away from Him. And God never desires for us to do that. He never desires for His children in the Old Testament to do that. And He doesn't desire for us to do that either. And so He prepared and provided a way for us through Jesus Christ. That uniting way that will unite us, that uniting thing that will bring us together, that thing that will help us to deal with our emotions, that will help us to keep our emotions in check so that we won't be an emotional wreck, but that we will be those who seek to have emotions like the Lord seeks to have emotions. And what better emotion to experience of 
the Lord than his love. To know that Jesus Christ died on a cross for you so that you can be forgiven if you accept his precious blood that was shed. And oh, what a glorious day that will be if today is the day that you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. What a wonderful emotion. What a wonderful joy that will come into your heart and you will get to experience God like you never have before. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to feel his love today by coming to him and making him your Lord and Savior. Let's pray. God, we come to you this morning and thank you for these words. And God, I pray, one, that you help us to keep our emotions in check, dear Lord. That you help us never to apply our, our bad emotions, dear Lord, our sinful emotions to you. God, you may have some of the same emotions, but dear Lord, you are without sin. You are perfect in what you have done. You are perfect in what you are doing. And you are perfect in what you will do. And God, help us to know that. God, help us to know that when we get emotional, dear Lord, that we are, are sometimes, many times, God sinning. Help us to keep our anger in check, dear Lord. Help us not to justify our anger by using some scriptures out of context, dear Lord. Help us to be slow to anger. God, there may be times that we're right in being angry. And help us to know those times. And help those times, God, please, to be few and far between in our life. And God, help us not to sin in that anger. Help us to be self-controlled. Help us to keep our mouths shut and to listen, dear Lord. That's a tough, a tough thing, God, but I pray that you give us the power and the ability to do that, and you will. And I pray that you help us to do that day. If there's somebody that wants to do that, God, I pray that they're seeking you right now, and I pray that you're going to give, give them the strength to do it. And God, I pray that if there's one in this, in this room today, and God, maybe the only anger they've ever thought of is, is your, uh, the only emotion, dear Lord, they've ever thought of of yours is anger. Because they're, they're, they're thinking about how angry you're going to be with them or how bad it's going to be on the day when they face you, dear Lord. But God, let us not focus on your anger, but let us focus on your love. A love that was shown to us, God, perfectly through Jesus Christ on the cross. And God, I pray that, that we're, not, we're not stuck like a deer in our headlight in the shame of our sins and, and worried that you're angry with us, dear Lord. Maybe we have sinned. But God, let us repent. Let us come to you, dear Lord, and experience your joy, God. And let us walk in freedom. Let us walk in love. Let us walk in happiness, God. And I pray that if there's one in this room that's never experienced Jesus Christ, God, maybe today's the day of repentance. Dear Lord, it ain't about nothing fancy. It ain't about a fancy prayer. It ain't about how we dress. It ain't about how we talk, dear Lord. It's about having faith in Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that if there's one in this room that's never accepted Him, that they know that today, that they did not leave this place, God, if you're convicting them without turning their life to Jesus Christ. I pray that they would, with all faith in their heart, dear Lord, just call out to you with their heart, dear Lord, even with their mouth, God, if they need to do it verbally, just call out to you, Lord Jesus. That they would ask Jesus to forgive their sins. They would accept the blood that was shed on the cross for them. And God, I pray that you just would help them to find joy in you today. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.